0: Why did Jesus come? Quoting F.B. Meyer, here's Pastor Ed
1: Ray. He who was above all angels became lower than the angels for a little time, that he might lift men from their abasement and set them on his own level in his heavenly Father's kingdom, that he might be a faithful and merciful high priest for the sorrowful, tempted, and dying humanity. Here is an act worthy of God
0: Zion build with hands and in this place God to dwell with man sick beel and the crippled stand singing hallelujah my kingdom built with the blood of my son selfless sacrifice for everyone faith GOD LEFT GLORY TO COME TO EARTH TO RESCUE MEN AND WOMEN AND THEN ELEVATE THEM TO GLORY. NOW THAT INDEED IS AN ACT WORTHY OF GOD. IT'S ALSO WORTHY OF PRAISE AND OUR MOST THOUGHTFUL CONSIDERATION. WE'LL ATTEMPT THE LATTER ON TODAY'S GROW IN GRACE WITH PASTOR ED RAY. IN CHAPTER 2 OF THE BOOK OF HEBREWS, WE'RE GIVEN A SUMMARY form WHY JESUS CAME. AND WHAT IS HE DOING? The scripture that so exalts the Lord gives us high purpose and meaning. So let's dig into these remarkable verses that address some of the big questions
1: of life and help us see Jesus more clearly. Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect or complete through suffering. For both he who sanctifies, sets aside, and those who are being sanctified, being set aside for God's use, are all one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them and us brothers and sisters, brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, are made of flesh and blood, literally, he himself likewise shared in the same. He took on flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, Satan, the devil, and release those who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed or the children of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make atonement, propitiation, a sacrifice for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Let's stop there and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Even though many times at first reading it's not clear, we ask that you would open our minds and hearts to receive, to understand, to grasp what this is saying for us so that we might fall more deeply in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a difficult section of scripture. you have to put on your thinking caps a little bit. I'll use some different tools to try and make it at least as well as I understand it uh, accessible to all of us bedtime stories children's classics fairy tales well the verses we just read have moved oxford professors to write children's stories fairy tales fantasy men like c.s lewis j.r.r R. tolkien george MacDonald, lewis carroll they wrote their stories as allegories as pictures of truth in which These highly educated grown men tried to capture in a different medium, in fantasy, the story that's here, these great truths that are recorded in this particular section of the book of Hebrews. They chose to use fantasy as the medium since only a small amount of precise information is disclosed in scripture. In other words, we don't know what Jesus did before. There was a creation. Did they hang out together in eternity and just were not told? So these men, having great respect for the scriptures, tried to fill in the missing parts in a way that didn't give the impression they thought they knew everything, but only that they were trying to capture the big story. Now, we all like stories. And in many ways, this big story, the one of creation, the one even bigger than creation, the purpose of why God came are embedded here. And what we are to do about it. G.K. Chesterton was one of these men. And he wrote that our walk through life can be much like stumbling upon a shipwreck. That Chesterton viewed this world as a sort of cosmic shipwreck because of what happened in Eden. Any person in search of meaning resembles a, a sailor who uh, wakens through a deep sleep and then discovers this treasure strewn about on a desert island on the beach, and they're relics of a civilization which he can barely remember. One by one, he picks these relics up, gold coins, a compass, fine clothing, And he tries to discern their meaning. Fallen humanity is in such a state that we are the sailors, and we are wandering around in a mild state of amnesia, some of us deeper than others, and trying to understand the things that are here in the natural world, beauty, love, joy. These still bear traces of the original purpose for which we were created. But amnesia mars the image of God in us. So, God does want for us to come to understand the big picture. And here in the close of Hebrews chapter 2, we find the big picture, but it's so compressed. It's so dense. The information here is deep, multi-layers. First time you read it, you think you get it, then you go deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, The writer has been presenting, we saw, an argument to Messianic Jews, Jews who had received Jesus as the Messiah. It's about 68 AD. Rome has burned. Nero is the emperor, the crazy emperor who is persecuting Christians. And so these Jews... Former Jews who are now believers are feeling the pressure to go back to Judaism. It's a lot simpler. The Jews weren't being persecuted, only the Christians were. The temple still stood. The old covenant was still taking place. Sacrifices every morning and every afternoon. So why not just go be Jews again? Why put our lives on the line for a belief in a Messiah that we're just not fully cognizant of? We don't understand all that went on here. And so this letter is written to them to help them understand, again, the big picture. And the writer has been saying that Jesus is the key, he, the Messiah, that he's greater than, better than, all the Old Testament prophets of the old covenant because it was all shrouded. It wasn't clear. And then he uses the argument in verse four on down in the first chapter that Jesus is better than, far superior to the angels, the archangels, or any heavenly host. So here we have, in this section, the answer to the really big question, why did God leave heaven, leave eternity, leave perfection, leave, as he uses the term, glory, the complete fullness of everything, why did he leave and come to earth? Why did the eternal one humble himself and suffer and die, here, an ignoble death on the spinning blue marble. F.B. Meyer said that this chapter is the key, and that it could be summed up into one long, lengthy sentence this way. He who was above all angels became lower than the angels for a little time, that he might lift men from their abasement and set them on his own level in his heavenly Father's kingdom that he might be a faithful and merciful high priest for the sorrowful, tempted, and dying humanity. Here is an act worthy of God. So, we want to see Jesus more clearly is what he's saying. In fact, that's the way he opens this section. It sounds like in the Gospel of John, when some Greeks came to Jesus, we think of him dealing with Jews all the time. John records for us the story of some Gentiles who came and asked one of the disciples, Sir, we would see Jesus. We want to see him. Now, they didn't just want to physically see him. They had things they wanted to understand about him. And and that should be our prayer, all of our prayers here, that we would see Jesus. How do you see Jesus? We'll explore
0: that question in just a moment but we wanted to pause here and welcome those who may have just joined us. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're so glad you're with us in our endeavor to see Jesus. So how do you see Jesus and what will we see when we do? Our scripture in
1: Hebrews chapter two will help us answer this question. How do you see Jesus? Do you see him as a son of God? Or do you see him as the God, the Son? Is he a great prophet? Is he a miracle worker? Is he a wonderful teacher? Or is he God? And I leave that hanging a little bit because I want to provoke you to thought. Hebrews 1 4 says, Having become so much better than angels, as he has by inheritance attained a more excellent name than they, so he's better than angels. But then here, we just read in verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than angels. How can both be true? How can he become better than angels but be made a little lower than angels? Chapter 1 was on the deity of Jesus. Chapter 2 is on the humanity. You see, Jesus is the God-man. Now, the first time I heard that as a new believer, that really frustrated me. It sounded like a cop-out. He's fully God and fully man. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. And that doesn't work. (laughs) Either you are 100% or you're not. But he is God fully. Always has been, always will be. But he set aside his position and power to become humanity. Now that step down is greater than an angel to a gnat, okay? I don't know how to say it in a way that will strike us deeply but this is the creator of the universe who became less than a nap for you and i that's the story that's the big story that's what john said the word was god and the word became flesh and dwelt among us god himself here to correctly understand who jesus the god man is we must also understand who man who humanity who Men and women are supposed to be and will be someday even though we don't yet see it. So this section again breaks up into three parts. We see Jesus 9 and 10, children of God, children of his, 11 through 15, and he is the high priest, 16 through 18. Now this is literally a section that volumes of books have been written about. So obviously we won't cover it all, so put on your, your thinking cap. And let's see if we can see just a little bit of Jesus so when we leave this place, we have a different understanding than the way we came in. Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Here's the big story. Verse 8 said, but now we do not yet see all things under his feet. So verse 9 takes us from that. What do we see? We see a corrupt world. We see a world that's broken. We see a shipwreck. We see relics left from that shipwreck. We look around and we see what we want to see though. I quoted that little poem a couple of weeks ago. Two men looked through the bars. One saw the mud, the other saw the stars. What do you see this morning? When you got up this morning, what did you choose? Emphasize the word volition free will. What did you choose to think on? Did you choose to think on this is the day the Lord has made, there's joy in it? Or did you think on what happened in the news yesterday? Really depress yourself, think about politics, think about nuclear warheads and crazy dictators' hands. What did you focus on? Did you look at the darkness and despair? or did you choose to look at the light? That's what this is saying. We see Jesus. When we take our eyes off the despair and look at the creator of the universe and what he has done for us and what we're moving towards at the speed of light, then we have every right to be hopeful and excited and anticipate good things for us, but also to live this life differently to live a step above. Remember, he died as mortals died, but now, quote, has all authority in heaven and earth, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said that. When Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Now, he was made a little lower, Psalm 8, 5. We started by reading that. Jesus was for a short time, 32, 33 years, lower than angels, but now all things are subject to him, including angels, which has been the argument here. Scripture teaches us Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. As difficult as it is to hold those two thoughts in tension, it is reality, so we gotta change the way we think of things. So human nature was added to his divine, Nature. Both natures existed in one person, Jesus Christ. He identified himself with fallen humanity and took on a human form. That's what this is kind of breaking down. Maybe it feels like it's a little slow, but this is the whole point. God became man because God couldn't die, God is immortal. So he became a man so he could die. He says here, taste death for everyone. Now, the Hebrew metaphor for taste means to fully immerse, to take it all in. It's not you know, just a little sip. It's he fully embraced death. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then at the end, it is done. It is finished. It's all done. He gave himself completely to it. So, the death of Christ was for everyone, but few take advantage of that gift. It is a gift. In fact, it clearly says it is a gift. By the grace, the gift, the coverings of God. God has a gift, and it's available for, for anyone who would call on him, right? We hear that so often. We, we forget that we didn't earn it in the first place. Why are we trying to earn it now? We didn't deserve, all we deserved was not this. (laughs) And he has given us this grace, this gift of understanding, of grasping who he is and who we are. So we have to come asking for forgiveness. We have to submit to this Lord of Lords, this King of Kings. But when we do, our sins are instantly removed from us as far as the East is from the West. So the picture here that's being conveyed was shown in the, the movie Lord of the Rings. Maybe some of you saw it, the Fellowship of the Ring. A fairy tale, a fantasy. I'm going to tell you a fairy tale right now. Oh, great. But it's a picture of what reality is. So the princess elf was Arwen. Arwen was immortal. She would live forever. But she fell in love with a human being, a man, Aragorn. In exchange, she would have to give away her immortality to stay with him. She asked him if he remembered what she said when they first met, and Aragon replied, quote, "You have said you'd bind yourself to me, forsaking the immortal life of your people." Arwen committed again to give up her immortality out of love. I would rather share one lifetime with you than face all the ages of the world to come. I choose a mortal life. Jesus Christ came to be fully human, yet fully God, so he could give up immortality to die in our place. It's as if Jesus says to you, says to us, I would rather share one lifetime with you than face all the ages of this world without you. I choose a mortal life. And then he throws immortality in the deal. For everyone, he could not have died as God because God is immortal. So he became human so that he could both suffer important word, and die. We'll come to that again. The result is there is a purpose for your life. There's a purpose for my life. If you know Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden the game of life has changed, and there is a pathway. There's a course for you. You may not have discovered it yet, but it's there, and it's written solidly in God's annals. He said that the days for you were written in his book before you were yet created. Before you were fully formed in your mother's womb, he created the days for you. Verse 10, for it was fitting for him, capital H, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many children, sons and daughters, to glory. What's glory? Heaven, eternity with him to make the captain of their salvation perfect. The word here means complete through suffering. Okay, big verse. Again, I, I told you this is kind of compressed information, and it's an onion. You peel off one level, you think you understand, and you look, wait a minute, there's another layer, and another layer, and another layer. And it was only right for God, this says, who made everything and for whom everything was made. You see, Jesus is the object of creation and is the creator. He is the creator and he made it for himself, but not for a selfish reason, but for a selfless reason so that you and I could spend eternity with him. That's the big picture. He's the creator and he created this amazingly wonderful world so that you and I might live and choose, have an opportunity to exercise our free will to allow him to have our lives or not. So, it rests fully on us because he's done everything he could besides force us robotically to follow him. But it is critical that you and I would choose, that we would choose the right as he gives us understanding and that we would surrender to him of our volition. He could have made robots, you know? There's people in this world trying really hard to create robotic machines that will take the place of people on an assembly line, etc. God would have done the ultimate robots, but that's not what he wanted. He wanted love, and love requires a choice, right? Amazing.
0: Amazing indeed. Have you made your choice to follow the Lord who made you and loves you? If so... As Pastor Ed Ray has already put it, you'll find great purpose and meaning. This is Grow in Grace, and we're making our way through Hebrews right now. If you missed a portion of today's study, simply go online to thepackinghouse.org and you'll find our programs are archived there for you. We can also send you a CD copy if that's preferred. Here's where to reach us, 844 Seven, 77 grace Again, that's eight forty-four, seventy-seven, grace Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace through this study of Hebrews. And if a question comes to mind, or you're in need of prayer, or would just like to express something that's on your heart, please do email us at radio at aol.com. Again, Radio at aol.com. Today, we'd like to offer you an inspirational book from Elizabeth Elliot called Through Gates of Splendor. This classic bestseller recalls the story of five missionaries who dared to share the good news with a Stone Age tribe deep in the jungles of Ecuador. And while they were martyred for their faith in Jesus, their story lives on, inspiring thousands to follow in their courageous footsteps. Through Gates of Splendor, our featured resource is available for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get out the good news of Jesus to a world in need. Pastor Ed Ray writes a daily devotional that you can access through our website, you can read these biblical and relevant devotionals at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on His Channel TV where we're studying Colossians right now. Our series in Hebrews continues next time we meet and we hope you can join us for that. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a daily presentation of the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship. Zion, Gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the cripples stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your love